0: Michelle, where
1: where are we driving? Why are we driving?
0: (laughs) We're driving near the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it's been super steamy and misty out. We're on our way to um, outside of Lynchburg, where we're going to meet Karen Swallow Pryor.
2: My colleague Michelle Borstein reports on religion. And in the run-up to the Supreme Court ruling on abortion, she has been talking with a well-known evangelical conservative, a woman named Karen Swallow Pryor.
0: I've known Karen for a while covering religion. She's kind of become a bigger name a little bit in recent years. She's become kind of known for raising questions among evangelicals and pro-lifers. So I've known her on and off for, for a while.
2: Karen lives in Amherst County, Virginia, which is about a three-hour drive from Washington, D.C. Michelle and audio producer Rennie Svarnovsky met with her the other week. This was days after the leak of the Supreme Court draft opinion, suggesting that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. And so they wanted to get a sense of where Karen's head was at. You right in the thick of it. Hi, I'm
1: Karen. i was Remy. Remy.
2: Karen has been working and praying for the end of Roe since the 1980s. That's when the concept of abortion really entered her consciousness, when she was in college.
1: Like the first time I really ever thought about abortion was when my best friend at the time came to, called me up and said she was pregnant and uh, her boyfriend was trying to force her to have an abortion. And I wasn't pro-life or pro-choice or anything. I just was like, I was very upset that my friend didn't want an abortion. And um her boyfriend was trying to pressure her into getting one, and I just said, you can't, you can't, and we'll you know, we'll support you.
2: Karen grew up going to small conservative Baptist churches. And at that time, evangelicals weren't really talking about abortion. But that changed by the time she was in grad school. She says this would have been a couple of years after that phone call from her friend. Her pastor hosted an event where he screened an anti-abortion movie.
0: Now we can discern the chilling, silent scream on the face of this child who is now facing imminent extinction.
1: I never knew abortion um, entailed what that showed, which was a basic, you know, early term suction abortion and I just remember thinking that it must be awful to be a woman and to feel like that's your best choice. And who would want to do that? Um, and I wanted to like help women so they didn't have to make that choice. Um,
2: 35 years after that church presentation, after dedicating herself to this issue, Karen was standing on the porch of her farmhouse. It was the evening of May 2nd, and these notifications started popping up on her phone. Politico had just broken the news about the draft opinion. And Karen was stunned. She was thrilled. But when it fully hit her, she realized that this wasn't really the answer to her prayers. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, June 20th. Today, we explore what it means to identify as, quote, pro-life in 2022. At a moment where it feels like the anti-abortion movement has made incredible strides, there are still prominent members, like Karen Swallow Pryor, who feel like the way that they got here has come at a real cost. She believes that there are a lot of people who think like her, especially young people, who are now forming their own opinions on, quote, pro-life issues. And now the anti-abortion movement is going to have to reckon with all of its fractured parts as it figures out what's next. Karen is
0: someone familiar to a good number of American evangelicals and people that follow some of the contemporary discussions around religion and evangelicalism and politics and that kind of thing. I've, I've covered Karen here and there for a while. She taught for a long time at Liberty University, which is known as one of the biggest Christian universities in the world. She's just uh, She's been known to me as somebody who's very passionate and genuine about her beliefs.
1: We have to be able to imagine a world in which we can accept this basic truth that we all know, that a pregnant woman is carrying a baby, not, you know, a tulip or a tadpole.
0: She describes this idea of being able to sort of see the truth, in Mm. a sense, about certain things.
1: We have to cast a vision as a pro-life movement that not only, you know, promotes the truth that uh, the unborn are human persons, but also is a vision for the flourishing and support and hope and love of the mother, too.
2: So, Michelle, here is someone who begins to think about this issue in the late 80s, and then she takes a step to become an anti-abortion activist. What does that initially look like?
0: Well, it's changed over the years, and I mean, when she first started, she was the um, spokesperson for a group called Operation Rescue, which was one of the early anti-abortion kind of really more radical groups. I mean, they were the groups that were always, you know, showing huge pictures of fetuses and doing everything they could to block, you know, people from clinics to, you know— harassing doctors. But when you look at sort of stories about that were written back then that that some of them included her because of her role, you know, she would be active about, you know, supporting women in the workplace and anti-death penalty and, you know, all kinds of things like that. And, you know, racial reconciliation, like she was a more complicated Uh, Activist, So over the years, you know, she became uh, more questioning of some of the more like confrontational aggressive tactics and, you know, wrote in a piece around then when she was writing about sort of some of the violence that erupted in the the movement that, you know, she said, "I, I realized it had been two years since I'd changed anybody's mind. So she eventually moved away from that type of activism and instead became more of like, you know, worked on the board of pregnancy centers and started to write and do do things like that. And this is interesting. And and I'm curious to understand a little bit more about
2: this tension between her and other members of the anti-abortion movement, I think what you would call the pro-life movement, and I'm not sure I completely understand, like, how she sees her beliefs against abortion as different from other people's beliefs against abortion.
0: Yeah, from the get-go, she saw being pro-life as something that you practice in your whole life.
1: And Because when I came into the pro-life movement, like, we used to talk about pro-life from womb to tomb. Like, Abortion, infanticide, and euthanasia, like the, all the, the vulnerable.
0: Initially, when, you know, when the movement started, which was before Roe, there was a lot of talk about, you know, birth to death, like full life, pro-life. And then there were some, you know, decisions made by leaders of the movement to really focus on row. And I remember, you know, I've been covering the March for Life, which is the country's biggest anti-abortion event since 2006. And you never really see signs for other things. And I remember interviewing people who were opposed to the death penalty, which a lot of conservative Christians support the death penalty, kind of telling me that they were harassed by other people for holding those signs, like there was really an intentional focus by the groups and also in communicating to voters what's the most important thing and Karen during these years is you know still marching along being conservative on some of these kind of Sexual and family issues, but remained very much interested in, you know, whether it was, um, you know, health care, rights for women, rights mm-hmm. for workers, you know, anti war, things like that. And I think she, over the years, was becoming, you know, increasingly torn. I mean, not only was she within the pro life movement, but she also was at Liberty, which is kind of a headquarters of, you know, this marriage of the Republican Party and conservative Christianity. And what was that like for her to witness, both
2: seeing the anti-abortion issue becoming so central, both to so many religious or evangelical communities, but also to the political right? I mean, to see abortion become kind of central to this marriage between evangelicals and the Republican Party.
0: Well, I think she was becoming increasingly uneasy in the last, you know, particularly since the Trump years.
1: I don't believe it's pro-life to incite a riot at our nation's capital where people are killed. I don't think it's pro-life to brag about sexually assaulting women and to have affairs with porn stars. I mean, this, these are all the things that contribute to the culture I've been fighting all these years
0: and i think as she watched the relationship become increasingly corrupt when you know there was a looking you know complete embrace of trump despite you know his many violations of you know these ethical demands that that conservative christians had been making for decades she started to become increasingly outspoken against that and Wound up leaving Liberty and going to—now she works for um, the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary as an an English and Christianity and culture teacher. When
2: Michelle and Rennie went to see Karen, they spent a lot of time talking with her about how she believes conservative Christianity and the so-called pro-life movement have changed. She sees the movement as making a lot of compromises over the years. This came up in a conversation as they drove to meet some of Karen's friends for dinner.
1: Still, I'm still, I think, conservative in the, the most significant ways, including theologically and sociologically and even politically. But um, I remember, you know, story after story of a conservative politician or hero getting divorced or having an affair or living with a woman while he was still married like Dinesh D'Souza and like every story by itself was disappointing and kind of surprising but I feel like I have not until now like putting it all together and asking the question that really is the elephant in the room. Is it a feature or is it a bug? Is it all grift? Is it all just posturing? I mean, I don't want to say that it is, but looking at Trumpism, um, it's harder and harder to say otherwise.
2: You can hear this tension playing out with her conservative friends, friends who voted for Trump, which is something that Karen says that she could not
1: bring herself to do. Hillary. Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Clinton. Well why why we vote for him. I don't like well, it. Can we can we talk about that? Even not for the, am I right am I right? You voted for Trump the first I time, have. not the second time. Right. right. Both times. Both times and neither. No, neither time. Neither. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: guys are like one of the most diverse places in the country. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right here at this table. Right, right oh, here at yeah. the table, yeah. <laughs> well,
2: or
1: the swimming pool. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> or the swimming. we've had some difficult <laughs> oh, swimming yes. as we are yes. swimming. That's you know? interesting. Can, I, can, uh, I, say, can I, I say what you told me one time recently? that you, just oh, like no, the, you well you out. just it was very no you just said. I mean you said you. you at one point you weren't sure our friendship would survive
2: and right. I'm
0: still
1: not sure <laughs>
2: So this is the backdrop for her reaction on the porch the night of the leak-draft opinion. Here was someone who saw the pro-life movement as fighting not only for the end of Roe, but for the end of the death penalty and for providing for mothers. But that whole-life pro-life mission is not where she has found the movement now. And that's what she was taking in when she realized that the fall of Roe could be around the corner. We'll be right back. So, Michelle, what was Karen's reaction when she saw the leaked Supreme
0: Court draft opinion? Well, she describes being on the porch of her house in the country and where she hangs out a lot and looking at her phone and just like the decades collapsing right in front of her where she's, you know, thinking about them, you know, Standing in front of clinics in Buffalo in the 1980s, and you know all the events and things that had happened between then that were so focused on Roe, and then all of a sudden, it looks like it's really going to happen.
1: So the news about the possible overturning of Roe versus Wade had just come out, and I had retweeted that breaking story, and um, you know exchanged texts. With a few people, you know, we were kind of like, whoa, this is, you know, big news. It was actually.
0: And she feels, you know, overwhelmed with happiness and possibility and gratitude to God and all those things at that moment. And then it's just like, whoosh, all the way to the complicated future where, you know, She starts tweeting about her happiness about it and people start responding about, hey, you know, she's the one who wasn't, didn't vote for Trump. And, you know, then all of a sudden she's under assault by like hundreds of people who are calling her, you know, not a pro-lifer and a baby killer and a Jezebel and all
1: these things. Like someone asked me, like, well, how do you, like, if you didn't vote for Trump, how can you reconcile?
0: And she's just like the wind is knocked out of her because she thought that this moment, you know, that she had worked for and been, you know, as focused on as anyone would be this great. She kind of pictured that there'd be this like real conservative leader and they'd all be united under like shared values around respect for life. And it's just so not that way.
1: And it just got. Complicated in the past few years over the politics of, you know, the president and Supreme Court appointments and just kind of the moral calculus that pro-lifers had to make in terms of, you know, whether or not voting for this particular candidate was the right thing to do for um, the possibility of having conservative Supreme Court justices appointed. I get that. Um, but that has nothing to do with my gladness at the possibility of Roe versus Wade being overturned. That doesn't seem that complicated to me but it's either is too nuanced for some people or that nuance is being weaponized and politicized for some other reason.
0: this kind of line of criticism is what she faced the night of the leak where you know people were saying you know you're clearly not pro life you know we're going to save millions of babies and you obviously don't care because you won't see it as worth it she was just like this everything that's happened under Trump to me is so not pro life this is mm-hmm. the culture whether it's you know him you know, bragging about sexually assaulting people, lying, attacks on democracy—like she's saying these aren't pro-life, and you kind of can't have one without the other. And so it's sort of looking at, okay, well, you've got politics on one. Obviously, these things aren't separated, but you also have the culture, how people feel. You've got a whole gender. You know, she's in university, so she's seeing young people coming up, and a lot of them that are disgusted with the Republican Party and tangentially with sometimes with the pro-life institutions, and saying, what do we get for it? You're getting the politics, but if you're not changing the culture, then you're losing.
2: And so how is she kind of navigating the fact that she is winning in some ways and feeling like things are
0: falling apart in other ways? Well, I think Karen's kind of split existence is visible in a lot of different ways. I mean, one is she left her longtime workplace at Liberty University Because of sort of the merging of politics and religion there and some of the, you know, corruption when former President Jerry Falwell Jr., who was a big, you know, ally of Donald Trump, you know, was caught in some sexual and power abuse scandals. I mean, she left her community there and moved so she could be somewhere that wasn't aligned with Republican Party politics like that. She also, you know, she's been part with her parents who who live with her of a, a church in the community. And that church, like many, many churches, were, were not, you know, everybody wasn't masking. They weren't welcoming, I guess, towards masking. And she and her parents don't go there anymore.
1: Church has become hard over the pandemic because um, a lot of churches, including churches in my community, i have not taken the coronavirus as seriously as i do and my family does um and as someone who has been part of a movement that has asked or demanded or expected women who are pregnant and feel too burdened to have their child to have that child anyway, to make the sacrifices necessary to preserve this life and to um, give life. For those of us who have made that demand to not even be willing to err on the side of caution with as little steps as wearing a mask or social distancing has just been a really painful revelation uh, and something that I've, I've had to grapple with.
2: What do you think Karen's story and experiences say more largely about the anti-abortion movement or about the tensions within that movement?
0: You know, I think she represents kind of I don't know if they're bookends, but we're at you know a real kind of pivot moment hmm. for for the anti-abortion cause and I think her genesis reflects that. They made these investments and it got them someplace very dramatic but without real confidence that they've changed the culture at all.
1: What's being revealed is that being pro-life means different things to different people. And there are many uh, within the pro-life movement that share my convictions not only about abortion but about protecting others during the pandemic and about other issues. Um, But I think a lot of us feel isolated from like-minded people in our own lives.
0: You have the legal purview. And then you have the hearts and minds. And I think you've got you know, younger people coming up who you know, tend to be more in favor of abortion access. They're more skeptical of institutions. They're extremely skeptical of this marriage between conservative Christianity and the Republican Party. You know, and you also have you know, 50 years of people living with Roe. So there's a lot of convincing to do on the, on the pro-life side. And I think it'll really, you know, that that this is kind of critical for them. This question of authenticity—whether they can convince Americans, especially young Americans, that they genuinely care about life.
2: Michelle Borstein writes on religion for The Post. This story was produced by Rennie Spernovsky. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter. It was edited by Robin Amer, Renita Jablonski, and Arena Flores. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.